fundraisers. I'm Don Lego. It's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities and building better tomorrows and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. All right, let's get going. This is a continuation of our very special Raise Impact series, where we chat with expert authorities about achieving fundraising success. Super important, right? So in this series, we have thought leaders who share the 411 on a wide range of fundraising topics. So if you are a fundraiser, sit back and relax or run out to the grocery store, get on the Peloton or take your kids to the soccer field, whatever works for you. Um, But listen in to some expert advice that may come in handy to help you further your mission. So I am super pleased to welcome a very special guest today. Um, He's going to talk about a hot topic, data-driven development. Yes, I know, you know, you need to do it, ugh, but we, we do need to do this. So I have Arjuna Solutions with us today, more specifically, Michael Gororan. Did I say that right, Michael? How'd I do? It's pretty good, Don. It's Goria Ron. Goria Ron. Oh, and you reminded me a hundred times, but I still messed it up. But you know what? My audience is so forgiving. So thank you guys. And I apologize to you, Michael. But you know what? Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I would love our audience to get to know you a little bit better, um, who you are, what you do, and uh, a little bit more about Arjuna Solutions. Sure, certainly. Don, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, enjoying the moment to be able to share some insights about not just data, but artificial intelligence. And what, what do you do in the next frontier of fundraising? But in terms of background, so I actually retired from Microsoft about five years ago, and I led the worldwide competitive strategy for the company when we were transitioning the business into the cloud services arena and delivering high value added services like artificial intelligence capabilities. And I had the very good fortune of meeting the founder of this company, who now at this point in time is only 38 years old, is Adam, uh, Adam Treiser. And Adam is a professor at Johns Hopkins University. And he teaches decision sciences, as you would expect, right? And he teaches it in the engineering college. And what he learned about seven or eight years ago is we were going to move from big data analytics. We all heard about that going back about seven, 10 years ago to artificial intelligence. So he knew that paradigm shift was coming. And so he started thinking to himself, how do I teach this? And then what does this look like? And what are the applications? And lo and behold, he came up with an idea for melding together different types of artificial intelligence to solve something which may not seem like the solution we are providing right now, for instance, but how do you price a uh, solicitation for a donor. And I know that that word pricing is probably very alienating or disorienting toward how you think about fundraising. But if you think about the quality of an appeal, you think about the pictures involved to make sure it's demographically appropriate to the donor. You think about the quality of the messaging, you know, how much in marketing we spend on those two areas. And then which channel do I send it through? Is it digital or is it paper or is it both, right? And then uh, the last thing, which is the most important thing is, what is Dawn's number? You know, how much do I ask of Dawn? Now, you may have some history on Dawn and her giving, but that doesn't test sentiment. 
And a lot of times people confuse capacity with sentiment. What's your capacity to give? And what we do, which is really interesting, Adam figured out how to apply what's called behavioral economics theory through artificial intelligence, where he's measuring donor sentiment and then determining in that moment in time two critical things. How much do I ask Don? And then the other thing is, should I even ask Don at this moment in time? And so I'll leave it there as kind of an intro, but I thought it was profoundly interesting to meet somebody after my career at Microsoft that is modeling donor sentiment in gift array values and quote unquote pricing them correctly. I'm mind blown right now. I, I really, I really am because I think you're putting a new twist on things. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a data girl to the point that I'm just intrigued, you know, by data. Um, I don't love anecdotal data and, and a complete, complete digression and side note, I, I raise a son with special needs. So when anyone wants to implement new programming, programming, uh, programming, or my husband and I want to advocate for our son, I'm like, don't talk to me about anecdotal data. Let's look at data, data, and, 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 and let's, you know, take it from there. So data, data, and then this podcast, right. In order for me to make this a thing. I had to present data. So I love data. So I love data driven development for the nonprofit, you know, nonprofit world and just getting the, the potential of each donor with every solicitation, right? That just makes us work smarter, you know, not harder, but I'm mind blown right now that you're able to measure the sentiment is it the right time? Should we ask Don, Michael at all? Um, and how much should we ask? Like, wow, can you expand on that? How, how is that even possible? But it's interesting because it's the potential exists because everybody has already uh, placed CRM systems and marketing automation systems in-house. So if I look at the last 10, 15 years, that's been the innovation in nonprofit fundraising. It's going digital getting your system in place like Salesforce, for instance, and then being in a situation where you know how to manage campaigns efficiently. And so through the course of time, donor records have been improved. They've all been digitized. You've captured a lot of information. The infrastructure is in place to be able to do it. And if it's not in-house, it may be delivered to you in the form of a service from some third party. You know, it could be like uh, something that Allegiance delivers as a service, for instance, you know, that whole capability of managing uh, marketing automation. So whether it's in-house or it's delivered through a third party, the capability is there to use AI. It's just that the applications have not been there. And then the first round of applications is really not what we're talking about, which is really to address a business issue, the, you know, in the sense of engaging with your customers. So the first round of AI was really on automation, is to make those systems work better and better and better by applying business rules and things like that. And that's been taking place over the last two or three years, that high-level automation, still efficiency. Now, in the last few years, we've had this technology out now for about six or seven years, and we have been in market for the last four years with it. Now it's really, how do I take AI and do something really compelling to it, with it, I should say. And if you think about the way you're familiar with AI, how about self-autonomous driving, right? Doesn't that blow your mind? Like you look at a Tesla vehicle and it being yeah. able to drive itself, right? I rode my in my first Tesla about two weeks ago. Thank so, you, John Runez. I had to give a shout out. I was like, whoa, what is this? And it's a little mind blowing when the hands come off the wheel, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And then you go, oh my God, please, you know, you want to make sure it's working. Now, the way that works is a very simple type of AI. It doesn't mean it's not complicated to gather the data. 
But that basically is what's called supervised AI, is you teach it through data, all the things about learning how to drive a car, about what a pedestrian is, what a bicyclist, et cetera, et cetera, what the roads look like, the signs on the road. And if you get enough fields of information, the car can drive itself, right? And that's where everybody's going, whether it's the secret Apple project or it's the trucks that you hear are driving themselves or it's the, it's the Tesla vehicle. What Adam did is he said, I want the opposite, which I thought was really interesting, is I want to try to measure donor sentiment, but I want the AI to be able to operate by itself. And that's what I thought was really ingenious about this, Don, is he started looking at letting the, uh, letting the AI operate in an unconstrained manner. And you can do this because this is not as dangerous as driving a car, right? <laughs> so you're trying to test what is the appropriate amount to ask of a donor. And if you get it wrong in the first month of solicitations, you can always correct it in the second month of solicitations. But what's fascinating about this is that we typically are in direct mail or email, and we're typically in a situation where it's three values, right? There's a low, medium, high type of value. But for most of the solicitations that are done right now, they're using RFM for segmentation, which you're very familiar with, and they're looking at the last gift plus some multiple based on the donor segment. That's what we compete against all day long that and regression analysis, you know, typical data stuff. But personalization at scale is what we do. And we're modeling your donor sentiment, but the algorithm, which is called Personalytics, the core, is then modeling uh, who, who are you? Where do you fit in the segments of donors, you know, the, pers the personas of donors that exist for a specific nonprofit? Not every nonprofit that you work with or you make contributions to, but where do you fit in your donor behavior with this particular nonprofit? Once we get those persona groupings in place, we also then put you at a point of elasticity we want to test. And this becomes really interesting because we take that estimate and then we test it through direct response, whether it's direct mail or email. And based on responses back from you as a donor or lack thereof, we start to model your behavior, but not you because we have PII. We don't need PII, it's irrelevant. We're modeling your behavior. We're trying to say, how do you behave in the context of this nonprofit? And the model we're building overall is only unique and pertinent to that nonprofit. So it becomes super interesting because it's almost like the way you know your best friends and you know what maybe they like for their drinks, for instance. And you know when they come to your house, which wine to serve because you know their preference or whatever. That's what we start to learn about donor behavior is we start to get a proximity, close proximity to their behavior for renewals, for an extra gift, for a special appeal, et cetera, et cetera, by modeling behavior continuously month by month by month. Super interesting. Yeah, I'm fascinated. I can listen to you talk all day, but I want to take it to a, a, maybe a different level because I'm sure um, you know, development directors are listening right now. Um, Artificial intelligence, data-driven development is just hot topic right now. And it's one of those things like, okay, you know, I want to optimize each ask, you know, every time with every donor, I, I get it. I want to work smarter. I want to work harder. But then there's the, oh, you know what, I, I, I have this event coming up and I have Giving Tuesday and my end of the year campaign and this and that and the other thing. And, and data-driven development is kind of, you know lurking over here. So what, let's just switch the conversation a little bit. Why is AI, your services, so important? And what do fundraisers 
need to know. I believe this is the future for sure. I mean, I, I think this is where we're going, but why is it so important? Why do, why do development directors, should they really stop, listen? What, why, where do you think this is going to play in the future of giving and generosity? I think that's perfect. The interesting thing here is there's a lot of good things going on in fundraising, right? And we already know about optimizing the message and we know about optimizing the materials and the images and all the good things that give you that personalization with the donor, even though it's it's going to be something that's done at scale. And the next level is how do you just get that level of optimization? Perfect word that you selected there, because that's what we're doing. We're not revolutionizing everything. What we're doing is we're taking, I always use this analogy. My team teases me all the time. I love carrot cake. And I always say, we are not the carrot cake. The carrot cake has already been made by the professional fundraisers that are listening right now. What we do is we give you that extra special cream cheese frosting that goes on top of that carrot cake that is beautiful. It's that next level of insight about donor behavior that makes the request of the donor just sweetened a little bit more to optimize their giving. And it is not optimization in the sense of a one-time large gift right now. It is optimization over the course of, quote unquote, a lifetime of giving, which we typically model at three to five years. And what's really important is we're doing something, we're doing this modeling in real time. So it's at this moment, should Dawn be solicited? And at this moment, should be she, how much should we ask her for low, medium, high amounts to sustain her as a donor over the next three to five years. So that's what the algorithm is solving. Making that next layer of kind of insight and, and personalization occur. And think about it, when you go to buy something that you are interested in, if the pricing is really right for you, you say, boy, the, the marketing mix is perfect in marketing terms, right? It's a situation where you are getting what you want, where you want it, when you want it, and the price speaks to you. Could be on sale, could be just the right value but you do it. And we're trying to get that last piece just right. And that's where the optimization takes place while sustaining donors. And that's been the thing we have seen with our clients. The other thing you mentioned that was important is the classic buy-build discussion. If I reframe what you said, if you are a director of development, you have two choices. Do I build this myself, which we have had marketing agencies we partner with ask themselves that, why would I partner with Arjuna when I could just build it myself, right? And the second thing is, if I don't build it myself, then whom do I work with to get this work done? And the important thing was most people realize if they were not sitting there with data scientists and software developers, that building it is crazy. So most of the in-house fundraisers have elected not to invest their time and resources trying to do that and catch up to the software development industry. Mm -hmm. so that comes down to your partners, you know, your marketing agencies or your data providers. What are they doing? Right. And then the thing that we really enjoy about our business is we started doing this eight years ago. And what we learned in the first four years of trial and error with our customers is they don't want to manage this stuff in-house. They asked us over and over and over again to take the software back we were giving them and then just deliver it to them as a service. And so you talk about taking friction out of the system is we're giving them something that works immediately in terms of real-time donor sentiment modeling, but we deliver it as a simple service. They don't have to deploy any technology, train anybody, hire anybody, use their existing business rules, fine, existing systems, fine, no problem. And that's really been compelling for us in simplifying the offering for a very complex technology 
where we use our literally we have a couple of NASA scientists in the background of our business that are they're working for us now and they manage this service and develop this service and refine it for our customers and deliver it to them with expertise and we also do all of the reporting and we do all of the management of the control and treatment group to test the fidelity of the system and that has been one of the accelerants of our business is just delivering it as a simple service yeah because the fundraisers are typically their resources, they're, you know, they're, they're doing so much, learning so much, dealing with so much, their, their plate, their cups runneth over, right? Yeah. And I, I think that they all could appreciate how, you know, data would be able to drive optimizing their, their, their ask. And, but just the thought of ugh, one more one more thing is just a lot, right? So how do you simplify that? You know, so let's say we have some listeners that are like, yeah, you know what? I get it. I get it. I haven't done it. I need to do it. Cause this is the future, right? Michael, it's the future for sure. Right. Fundraisers everywhere are going to be relying, you know, to different degrees on data, using artificial intelligence, using data at some point, if it's not today, they're, they're going to be doing it, right? For sure. I believe, don't, don't you, you've got to believe the same thing, I would think. Yes. Is that a yes? I'm sorry. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's get them on the bandwagon a little bit faster. How do you help? How do you make it, you know, easy, affordable? Like somebody's like, okay, I'm on my treadmill right now. I hear you, Michael. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make, make that phone call. What take, take us through what that journey looks like. So our big mantra, as I started alluding to, is keep it really simple. Just keep it Yes, the KISS theory. Exactly. I, I, I call it, we call it removing friction at every stage of the engagement. And so what we do normally is we will brief the executive team on how and where to use AI, because a lot of people have not been actually briefed on how and where to use AI, which is a whole different discussion. Okay? There's, mm-hmm. I started alluding to the Tesla model of AI versus us. So there is nice opportunity for us to maybe spend some time helping the executive team and the nonprofit understand where and why you would use AI. We know the capacities there, right? The CRM system, but where and why? So they know what they're doing, because it's really important to understand what they're doing. We also then spend a lot of time ensuring that as we look at the fundraising process, we understand the business rules that exist, because there are rules that people have abided to over the course of time. And when they solicit donors, how often they solicit donors, uh, when do they ask for a second gift? If they're made a second gift, do they continue soliciting the donor? There are all these business rules that are indigenous to fundraising in each particular institution. It's our job to understand those rules so we can match them. We also understand the systems that are in place. We know how to share data back and forth, but we can share data as simple as a CSV file, just little spreadsheets so we keep things simple, right? And then we go to the next stage of uh, structuring a pilot based on the types of campaigns. So maybe they have a renewal campaign with existing active donors they want to renew. Maybe they want to reactivate donors that have lapsed. So we look at that. Maybe they have some mid-level donors that are above what the normal services deliver in, in uh, direct response fundraising. And I should say a lot of our activities are focused below $2,500 in giving you know, for that direct response uh, area. And we also have another service that's between $2,500 and $10,000 for the one where there's some potential human inter- intervention, not just the direct response intervention. And we know how to apply AI in all those scenarios. And then we just model a statistically accurate pilot 
so that when the results are being derived, and it could be a relatively small percentage of the volume, might be 10% of the volume of the renewal campaign or 15% of the volume, something like that, relatively small. And uh, we structure a statistically valid test that we will manage for the client. We set up the control group. We set up the treatment group. It takes us about two weeks to take a look at the organization's data and set all this stuff up. Once we set it up, a lot of times the data mapping we do, our clients will take our data mapping and use it for other purposes, which is fine with us, but, but at least they can see how we're organizing their donor records, which they enjoy. And then from there, we start saying, okay, how do we apply this? And it takes us about four to 10 days to actually calculate. That's how computing intensive this is, the first round of solicitations. And then we just send them back the CSV file and they put it into their direct mail or they put it into their email and it goes out for testing. And we use reinforcement machine learning to learn from the responses that take place in another part of our architecture. It's probably the most important part of the architecture, honestly. And it's as simple as that, where we do all the work for our clients and we don't charge uh, for all the fees of you know, the data cleansing or the data organization, uh, all this. We don't charge for any of that. We just charge a simple dime per solicitation. So we try to keep it, if you're realizing a value off of the solicitation and everything around your cost structure is the cost of that solicitation, we decided to shift our pricing to just simply match where the expense is made and where the value comes. And our clients typically are getting about 30 cents back for every 10 cents they invest with us. So we, And if there's any point of friction along the way, then we work to get rid of it. And then we provide all the reporting and we provide the control treatment experiment management over the course of the time where you're evaluating the performance of the algorithm. Try to, it's, try to keep those steps very simple where we're responsible and the, the organization benefits from it. Well, if I could spend 10 cents and give back 30, I would do it all day, every day. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> so how clean does um, a nonprofit need to have, like, I, I think that might be a barrier or a thought like, oh yeah, I've got to like clean and map and do this and do that and dedupe and, uh, you know, how, what do they need to do with their data before they make that first phone call to Arjuna? So I can see you've done this before. You've seen those records, right? And so we uh, we get a whole bunch of things because we have some medium-sized clients, some large clients, some extra-large clients. All of our clients you would recognize name brand immediately. But the uh, the interesting thing we do is because we are a self-learning technology, we're looking at for a limited set of behavioral cues that we can uh, model across the entire donor file. And if you have as little as 10,000 records, we only need eight data points to be able to do our modeling as we begin. And then the next set of data comes from those responses that go into the market, Dawn, because we're looking at, okay, what did Dawn say? Did she respond or not respond? If she did respond, how did she pay? So we're channel agnostic on the outbound and the inbound. We are focused on optimizing the donor experience and trying to yield a higher value from the donor. And so we're trying to get them both solicited electronically and through paper. And then as they are solicited, try to nudge them. If you look at the famous economist that was focused on behavioral economics modeling, Thaler, he had this concept called nudge. I have to share the white paper with you. It's great. But you know that idea where you're signaling somebody on the consumer side to move to a certain place. And if that signal makes sense to them to move there, that by signaling them constantly over the course of time, you nudge them to the place of donor, the, the making the donations you're looking for. And I love that concept uh, that we're trying to promote internally with uh, our own team and take to our customers is take that 
that theory of the nudging that, that Nudge. and then just move them to the right point. Cause we're not trying to abruptly move them to a large gift. We're trying to nudge them along the way. And I've talked already about the two things that we give, you know, lift. It's about 12% plus or minus 5% lift in the first year. That, that's what we see with our clients. And that's on a renewal activity. The second one is that $3 for every $1 back. I was talking about 30 cents for every 10 cents. The third one we see is really important is over the, over the course of time, it's donor advancements. Is we're advancing donors just a little bit more year after year to move them about 11% faster than traditional methods to a higher level of giving. And if you can do this behavioral modeling, you're way ahead of the game. So let me stop you there. Is that because you're asking for the right amount at the right time that the that donor advances? Is is that part of that reason? Like, what's that's the reasoning 100%, behind there? Hundred percent. It. You're you're perfectly spot on. Is that the donor is receptive because you're not asking them in a in a time when they're not receptive, mm-hmm. and you're asking the right amount. And they go, well, that seems reasonable. And they may remember what they gave last year. They may not remember what they gave last year. Some people disclose that when they make the fundraising. You gave $100 last year. We're asking you for $105 this year. We, we, we don't see that in ours, but I've seen that done before. Mm-hmm. And then it's one of those things where we just move them to the next level of, of giving. And it doesn't have to be monumental. If you're a $50 donor and you move to $55, that's a 10% improvement, right? And if yeah. you keep those little nudges and you're moving them up and you don't alienate them so they don't stop giving... You're in a very good position, and that's it's graceful. You call it nudging. I'm going to call it graceful. It's just it's it's graceful. Yeah. All right. So let's put some let's put some practicality behind it. Can yeah. can you share a success story or a case study or you know something that we could sink our teeth into and have that aha moment? You got one for us? Uh, I've got a couple, but it's interesting. If I if I think about it, maybe extra large, large, medium, right? What we find in the medium size, the smaller organizations, is they have better donor intimacy and they have better connection to the mission. It's inherent, right? If if you are supporting your local Little League team and your child is on that Little League team, you naturally have a very big vested interest in that. Now, if I take that up to a nonprofit scale and I see a medium-sized scale, I'll leave the customer names out because we... Uh, we have some customers that are on our website. I would ask you to have your, your listeners maybe go to our junasolutions.com and take a look at our case studies out there. But the point of the matter I was trying to make is there's inherent elasticity in a smaller organization, not small, but a medium-sized organization that, uh, you know, they're soliciting, say, you know, 80,000 uh, so, uh, you know, donors that they are trying to get after over the course of a year. And if they're in a situation where they are asking the more optimal amount, the surprise to me is how receptive donors are to that. It's logical when you think about it retrospectively. But in the beginning, I was wondering, well, aren't they already passionate enough that they're giving the optimal level? We had one organization. We haven't done the case study with them yet. They're a law school. I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we have higher ed. We have nonprofit. We have health and human services. We have a whole smattering of different organizations. But crazy, crazy thing. You know, we had... One organization, this law school, they had 41% higher level of giving year over year in one year. 41%. Is that insane? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, uh, yeah. During COVID, Don. And it's a school. You know, you would think they would give to some other type of organization potentially. Yeah, that's that wouldn't have been my top 10 list for, you know, pandemic related places. Because we know giving didn't stop during the pandemic. Um 
But so that's law school. Yeah. What's the best ever, Don? That's the best ever for us. That's yeah. Money, right? But we also have people who, on the other side, if I stay in academic, and I can't talk about this one, it's on our on our website, Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania, right? Ah, I know Swarthmore College. Sure, okay. So, so they, they use us about six to eight months, and they had a five percent improvement in giving. And you say, well, you know, not a big deal, Michael. You know, forty percent, you really got my attention. Five percent, don't bother me. I would say, well, it depends on the organization because. That in the first six to eight months was $38,000 for this particular type of fund. And it was for um, disadvantaged students, okay? And they wanted to help them economically. The lifetime value of those dollars was $467,000 based on the average life of their donors. So you look at that, that's only in the first six to eight months gone, right? So you say hey, 38,000, not a big deal. The 467 starts to become interesting. And then you start saying, okay, can we do more work with them? Because they have other types of fundraising we're not working on with them. And that case study is on our website. But if you- Oh, I'm the- going to check it out. Swarthmore College. And big yeah. shout out to them. Good for them. You know, especially if they're helping disadvantaged uh, students. Um, you know, they, if you're going to do it, do it right, right? Get the most, optimize, you know, get the most out of your campaign, you know, that you can, because um, that's really working smarter and um, good for them that they were able to, you know, increase their proceeds in in that manner. I mean, without you, they'd been $38,000 lighter and that might make the difference of, you know, the start of a new programming or equipment or, you know, that, that they might have had to say no to. And that would be, a, you know, a tragedy. You know, you stepped in same campaign and and just was able to, you know, bring them up on that on that spreadsheet, you know, put the arrow upwards. And um, that's wonderful. I mean, it's really great to see. Do you think that um, AI has a place for everyone, every nonprofit? Absolutely. And what's interesting about the last one is sports more Fritz. Um, he made $29 back for every dollar he invested with us. Oh, please. I was willing to give you 10 for 30. I definitely give you one for 29 back. I mean, simple math, people, simple math. But, you know, they're a pretty small school, right? Yeah. One of those elite smaller schools. And and Fritz, the, the gentleman there who is the uh, VP of, of, of fundraising, he um, looked at what we were capable of doing and he said, how hard is it for me to implement and how soon can you do it? And what does it look like? And then uh, we actually had a philanthropist, uh, coincidentally, underwrite the cost of doing the pilot in the first year. So the 38000 was free. The 291 was just matching it against what the price would have been if he had been charged. So we did the work and we found someone to pay for it and he got the financial benefit. I would say it was a triple win there, right? Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Win, win, win. Um, so what do you think the future holds for um, AI, for artificial intelligence what, in the nonprofit space? What do you think yeah, the future I, I holds? Think it's, it's a no brainer. And I had a customer a little while ago. I was briefing them first time and she said, this is just a no brainer. Yeah. You know? That's how I feel. The 5% I was talking about, if you're a big organization where you've got very mature files and you're raising like 20 million million a year in fundraising and you say, well, 5% doesn't matter. 5% matters a lot. Because there's two things going on with direct response fundraising. Number of donors is declining and the average gift is declining. And if you can stem the decline by retaining and then get a little bit of lift out of it, you're breathing lifeblood into millions of dollars of opportunity. And that's where... You know, I always think about the 5%. Does it matter? It matters a lot. It does. Size scale. 
Yeah, because think of the cost of trying to do a whole completely new, another, a second campaign or to cultivate new donors. Um, There's much, much more expense there, right? So this is, um, this makes, this makes, just makes a lot of sense. Not that you don't want to do those things, but, you know, this just makes um, tremendous sense. I think it's a no brainer um, as well. So with AI, if, if you adopt this approach to your development, is it, is it one and done? Is it one year and done? Or does it continue to get better and, and the machine learning continues to learn and you can, you know, continue to move that, that ROI, does it get better and better and better? And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like a smartphone. Once you get one, you're not going back to a flip phone. Are you always keeping that as part of your approach? Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on. It's, we have a situation where we are building a model that is unique to your organization, the philanthropy, the, excuse me, the nonprofit organization that we are supporting. And once that is in place, it keeps getting better and better over time as we keep modeling donor sentiment. And as you work with acquisition campaigns to add new donors, because this is kind of the magic in this as well, is we get so refined about what those new donors will do based on what we know about existing donors that we quickly are doing uh, lookalike matching and knowing specifically how to take those donors and bring them to the right level of giving immediately. And you want to do that as quickly as you can, Dawn, right? Because you only have a three to five year life with most donors. And so you don't want them suboptimal for the first couple of years. You're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table to advance the mission of the organization. So if we can get them to the right level right away and then keep them there for three to five years, then you're getting the maximum contribution toward your mission. Yeah. Do it now. Um, this is fascinating. And, you know, I really appreciate just our, our casual conversation, but I think what we're going to have to do is get Arjuna to um, probably do one of our webinars um, at, at, through um, at the One Cause platform to try to really get, you know, from, from A to Z, the process, what's involved, what do you need, get some questions and answers going. So may I invite Arjuna Solutions to do uh, a webinar, hopefully upcoming soon. Uh, with one cause. How does that sound for you? We would love to do that. It'd be our, our privilege. Thank you. Yeah. I think we have to keep this conversation going, but uh, we did, I, I don't know how it feels like it was two minutes, but we did, um, we did chat for a good while. So um, I think we'll have to just leave it at that and keep the, uh, keep the conversation going. Um, and hopefully we'll see you with um, some other collaboration efforts uh, through one cause. This is a hot topic and fundraisers need to know. So fearless fundraisers, that's about all we have time for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Raise Nation topic and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Tune in for a new episode release every Thursday. That's Thursdays. We release at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. You don't want to miss our new episodes. But in the meantime, be sure to listen to all the episodes on Raise Nation Radio. Follow the channel that you like the most. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, of course, Raise On Demand and uh, OneCause.com On Demand. Um, But on your favorite podcast channel, you'll get all the notifications about our new guests. And so you won't miss um, a single episode. All of our fundraisers are doing such amazing things to build better tomorrows for our communities. Stories are awe-inspiring. Again, don't miss a single episode. I would like to thank our sponsor, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions that help nonprofits connect with their donors. Be sure to check us out, onecause.com. Visit the resource tab on our homepage for a broad catalog of webinars on demand, eBooks, and of course, Raise Nation radio podcasts that I'm sure you'll find helpful. 
A huge shout out to my guest. I'm going to let him say his name again, Michael. Gloria Ron. Gloria Ron. There we go. From Arjuna Solutions. Check them out, arjunasolutions.com. Um, fascinating stuff. Just fascinating. So, Michael, I do really appreciate your expertise and your authentic voice. Thank you so much for being with us today. I, I enjoyed their conversation. Any last words of advice or inspiration? Let's activate that AI as soon as possible. Yeah, it sounds like we should, because if I can get 20, uh, if I can get 30 for every 10, we want to do it. Well, thank you again so much to all of our listeners out there. That is a wrap. Until next time, I'm Dawn Lego. This is Raise Nation Radio. Stay fearless out there. <laughs>